Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Fish fans. The NFL is back. The Marlins are still playing baseball. And Sean Barrett returns on Friday's episode of Locked On Marlins. We're going to dig into everything hitting. Thursday's episode, we talked about everything pitching. It's time for hitting. Buckle up, guys. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Locked on Marlins, the Friday edition. I hope everyone is doing well and pumped for the weekend. I'm your host, of course, Peter Pratt. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Miami Marlins underscore UK. And don't block me either. Don't be blogging me. Please subscribe to the pod or the YouTube channel if you're watching. Hello, greetings and welcome to my living room. And welcome again to Sean Barrett, the UK GOAT. How are we doing, Sean? I'm doing well, Pete. Looking forward to this weekend. It's a big one, isn't it? I'm sure there'll be some baseball on in the background. <laughs> it's fair to say a few eyeballs will be diverted away from uh, from the Marlins and this uh, Marlins-Met series. But nevertheless, we'll still be keeping our eyes on it um, loosely. But it's fair to say Dolphins at 6 p.m. UK time on Sunday. <sighs> boy, oh boy, that is going to be tasty to get things rolling. I have to call it out. For those that, that don't know this, um, I'm a Rams fan. So I'm just going to put it on the record. I'm a Rams fan. But if you can have a second team in a sport, the Dolphins are now my second team. Because so many of you guys follow the Dolphins. And with that, I buy into all the hype. And I want to see them do well. So listen, you know I love hype. And if the Rams are terrible and the Dolphins are great, I will switch allegiances in a second. Don't you worry about that. Um, Sean, welcome back. And welcome to the Friday episode. Um, what we haven't done this week. And I know everyone is craving for it. We haven't had a Sean Stats segment. That's still a working title, but I think it's working for me. So let's keep it rolling. Sean Stats, let's kick off with Sean Stats. What have you got in the statometer, the stat, I don't know. What have you got for us? Uh, so we're talking offense today. So unfortunately, it's nothing positive. Oh, boy. Uh, we've talked a lot about the Marlins and the, the historically bad lineups that we've been putting out and the the results have been atrocious. Um, and was it, it was three games last week where there were less than five hit, five or less hits and one run or under. And it got me thinking, like, that that felt like something I'd seen a bit too often this year. Not enough mm. offense at all. So mm. I went into the numbers a little bit. Turns out absolutely right. So the Marlins 25 times this year have hit under five hits and under one run in a game. That's, that's, that leads, um, it doesn't actually lead this year, but it's one of the worst teams out there. So you've got the Athletics and you've got the Tigers as well, who are also offensively dire. Okay. Um, but, but that number actually reached into the top 10 of teams since 1993, the beginning of the Marlins. Okay. Um, uh, so they are, on a, they are on a terrible run of just not, getting any offense in multiple games. Mm. Um, one other thing that factors in is four teams, including this team, are in the bottom 11, as in having had the most games like this. 
As a Marlins fan, over the years, we've had to put up with some awful, awful lineups. And wait, this, wait. Team, this team... Can I just add one thing, there. too? Can I add that it's fair, we have to call out that this year, there's also a designated hitter. So all the historic ones that you're talking about, this year, you, 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 it's, it, when you compare them, you have to know that they've never had a DH before. Now they do, and it's still absolutely shocking, historically bad, uh, and you know, compared to you know, all the way through from 1993. So anyway, sorry to interrupt. I just had to interject and let everyone know that, to remember that there is a DH this year, and theoretically this offense, uh, compared to other years, should be better. Mm, not the case. So, so one last thing is we have to avoid not hitting less than five runs and not scoring less than one run in a game nine more times to not be as bad as the 2014 San Diego Padres. Is that the worst ever? That's the worst ever. 34 games. God, could you imagine watching that? If this is as bad as the Marlins have been, they were nine games worse than the Marlins doing this kind of performance. Wow. Uh, I think that I think we can get there. I think that's something that we can look at positively. <laughs> we aren't one of the worst offenses ever. Wow! And again, the the, the Padres um, in twenty fourteen, no DH. So yeah, you know, we have to again call that out. Uh, boy, oh boy! That I mean. So okay, can the Marlins go less than nine times with five more? Basically, five, the five hits and one run is the is is the number. The they've got to do one of them. They've either got to hit six hits or score yeah. more than one run. Yeah, nine times. And, and we're good. Okay. Wow, wow, wow. It's, I mean, it's wild, isn't it? Just how historically bad this offense has been. And there's so many reasons that you can point to. But overall, I mean, just organizationally, we'd have to look at this and just ask ourselves. And the Marlins, I'm sure, will be asking these questions. And, uh, you know, we'll see what the offseason brings. But really, from a like a fundamentals or a an approach perspective or whatever the approach is, it, it isn't working seemingly. And I think it's time to consider an alternative approach, more kind of strategically. I can't quite think of the right word, but you know what I'm saying? I think it's time. And I think, you know, James Rousen, for example, like at one point a few years ago, we're thinking he's the heir to Don Mattingly after that sensational year he had with the Twins. I just can't understand how it's gone so bad so quickly for James Rouse and this staff. I remember last year, Eric Duncan as well, he felt a lot of pressure and then he got kind of moved into the, I think some sort of analytics kind of role or something, Eric Duncan, but um, nevertheless, the analytics haven't been good either. So, I mean, where are we at here with these, with, with the kind of, you know, with the off field guys and sh does anyone deserve to stay? I think is the question we should be asking. I mean, realistically, no. I think you've got to get rid of everyone. You've got to clean this house. I mean, it is a case yeah. of it's been that bad. And you know, it's not like a couple of guys aren't hitting well. I mean, there's not a bright spot on the in the lineup. Mm. Not a single guy that you can call back. Coop had his run, and I'm going to call that out because, you know, <laughs> I'm a Coop fan. But, mm. you know, since, since the All-Star break... You know, he has struggled, and that's partly injuries and, and, you know, that same old story I'm sure people will be saying in their minds. But, you know, other than that, you can't really look at guys and go, these guys are having great years. I mean, in fits and starts, Bertie's been okay as well. Um, but when you're looking at 
a, a number of guys. You're talking 15 to 20 guys across the season who've seen, you know, 100-plus at-bats, say. Mm-hmm. You know, none of them really are hitting well. And that comes down to, you know, we've seen lineups where we just, you know, every single guy seems like it's not Mac out. And, you know, we've just spoke about how bad they are as, as far as trying to get offense on the board. Yeah. It is a case of, I just, I don't understand what we're doing because we've got guys at the major leagues that aren't hitting. We've got guys that are coming up through the minors, getting to the majors, and then not hitting. Mm. Like we, we, we gave Brinson all those at-bats, those 1,500 at-bats or whatever it was, yeah. yeah, at the major league level. And that's not just Brinson. That's also the people working with Brinson to make him a major league hitter. Yeah. He goes off to another organization six months down the line, and all of a sudden he's hitting bombs for days. Mm. Uh, small sample size. but <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> But it is that case of we're seeing consistently guys that weren't hitting the Marlins going away and hitting somewhere else. It's now the point where we say, yes, the hitters have to take their fair share of blame. But when they're being instructed or when they're being taught or when they're being given adjustments by guys that clearly don't know what they're doing, how long can we put up with that? And I think you've just got a clean house. I think realistically, in that clubhouse... The only person I think that deserves to keep their job is Mel and anybody that Mel wants on his staff and Kim because I think you need to give her that little bit of time. With a GM, I don't think you make that big of a change systematically at a time like this. Other than that, I could happily see everyone else walk. Wow. Necessary. I'm completely with you, by the way. Um, The other thing... For me, uh, you make a great point. So I wanted to, let's bring this to life, looking at Georgie Alfaro. And I think in some ways, this really helps to shine a light on everything for me. So if you haven't looked at Georgie Alfaro's stats year on year, at this point, hit pause, open them up, and go and have a look at the same time. And you can see what I'm seeing, okay? So when you open up Alfaro's stats, you see the year before that he was traded to the Marlins, and he was playing at the major league level for the Phils, he had he had 350 give or take at-bats, and he had an OPS plus of 95, okay? He never reached that mark again with the Marlins. So actually in his first year with the Marlins, it was 93, the OPS plus. Then it was 68, then it was 69. Tailed off heavily. He's now got a career high OPS plus with the Padres of 96 at the major league level. Actually, no, in a small sample size with the fills, it was 127 in 2017. So basically what we've seen with Alfaro is with the fills, he's raking comparative to catching as well. Then he comes to the Marlins, has an okay start and then really tails off rapidly. Then he's traded for a bucket of balls. Then he goes back to what he was doing at the fills. The Marlins made him worse. The Marlins made Alfaro terrible. He was great with the Phils, great with the Padres, and the gap in between, terrible. To me, that just sums it up. And Alfaro, for me, is the perfect use case. It's the perfect case study of what's wrong with the fish, where they somehow make hitters worse, and then they go away to other organizations, and they just go back to themselves or improve and go to a level they've never been before. It's wild. And I don't know the reasons because I'm not close enough to it. I don't know the reasons, but it's 
It's wild. Sean, what's your thoughts on this Alfaro thing? I mean, does, it is representative, right? You know, it comes into the organization, carries on some momentum, and then finally the Marlins beat all of the goodness out of him, and then he's sent pack in, and then he bounces back and becomes a stud in San Diego. And a folk hero as well, by the way. He's an absolute stud. You get him post-game, he's swearing, he's just cheering everyone. I love that, but, you know, this is just the Marlins, I think, offensively, and their approach, it's, it's clearly not working right. No, it's not. I mean, and I mean, you can look at our father's numbers and, and poke holes at a couple of things and say there's a little bit of luck here and there. He's still striking out a turn and he's walking, but he's he's a catcher. He's a he's a backup catcher at this point to a certain degree. But he's given them, you know, shots in the arm. He's given them, you know, timely hits. He, he's getting in in the game and performing. And you know that WRC plus of of ninety two that he's got this year. That's that's fine for a catcher. I mean, we talk about 100 being average. Well, catchers aren't average hitters. So, you know, that, that 90 number is, is a good number. It's, you know, it's over half a season as well now. So, you know, yes, the average is low. And yes, the on-base is low. But he's a backup catcher doing the job. Um, yeah. And, and this, is only his, <laughs> this is only his first year removed from being at the Marlins. There'll be adjustments and there'll be changes that he'll be instructed to make in the off-season when they see more of his at-bats. And I think he could come back next year and be, have an even better year. Maybe it's the best of his career. Um, and, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, these hitters are, they're professional hitters, but there's, there's always stuff you can work on. There's always pictures adjusting to you, and you've got to make that adjustment back. And it's not easy to do. And I've, sometimes it can be super minor, but make a big difference. And I think that's just not yeah. what we're seeing at the moment. At the moment, can you honestly say that there's a guy that's heralded as being a good offensive guy as a coach. I can't think of one. You know, we talk about Mel for days, but we never once, we heard about Ralston when he came in, but the results just haven't been there. And and what do you do when a hitter isn't getting the results? You, you get rid of them. That's what they've done. Mm. Now we've got to look at that coaching staff and say, they're not getting the results. Time to get rid of them. Sean, I, I can't think of one hitter. N- no one comes to mind that have come into this organization that we've made better. I honestly can't think of one. It's shocking to think of, but like, and it's because we have the night and day, we have the pitching staff and you have like a Lozado that I think is a great example of this in, in kind of recent, recent years anyway, that is struggling. You acquire him on the cheap. So you go away, acquire him on the cheap and make him better. You, you polish the rough diamond into a full diamond. And that's what the Marlins have done well. And Mel Stoudemire's done well. Offensively, I can't think of one person that we've done that to. I maybe, I may, I may be blanking on this. I may not. I may have missed someone. But I honestly can't think of someone where the Marlins have bought low on them, polished them up, turned them into a stud, and they've either performed for the fish, or they've been traded away. And well, okay, there's plenty of guys we traded away, but they were all um, drafted and whatever. That was part of previous regime i can't think of any am i missing any is there anyone that we've that we've acquired and brought into the organization by low we haven't and it's not only that i mean if you look at sort of what the pictures are saying like lazardo you know in interviews saying about mel and what he's done and how he's he's embraced him and and brought him up and encouraged him and worked with him i haven't heard a single hit ago oh ralston unbelievable came up and he's just, you know, worlds apart from anyone I've ever spoken to. 
Mm. You know, th- th- there is no one out there saying that there's guys in the organisation that are helping them improve and grow, like yeah. we're hearing from Mel. And I'm not expecting us to find a guy offensively that everyone's just going to suddenly go, he's the best coach in the, in the league. But we need somebody in, at least we need somebody in the organisation that we hear from that says, this guy knows what he's doing and there's a proven track record of, of what they've done. Belson did what he did, you know, to a certain degree, but he hasn't brought that over to the Marlins, that's for sure. He hasn't. And the funny thing was, I was listening to a post-game uh, from Donny the other day. I can't recall which day it was, but he was talking about certain elements of the game. And it's funny, right, because you can, you, you can hear through when Donny speaks. He knows exactly the situation of from an, an an offensive and hitting perspective, he knows he still speaks about it. Going okay, yeah, he was in that count. He should be looking for this. Should be looking for that. And you know, again, it, you're thinking, how can Don Mattingly be manager for this long with the talent, the knowledge that he has, and to not polish anyone and make anyone better? Seemingly, and you know, it's a tough game. Listen, the you know, pitching, the pitching's insane, and rah rah rah, but. Other clubs are doing it. Most other clubs are doing it, where they're they're producing guys, and not all of them are like heralded prospects. They're ones that you hadn't heard of, and actually they they develop them and they can they can deliver. Much like for me with the Bravos, I keep pointing to them, but it's a really good use case. But you know, Vaughn Grissom, he's an eleventh round pick, and you next thing is he's he's you know jettisoned in from Double A. He's going to sign a hundred million extension before we know it, Vaughn Grissom. So anyway, we need the first ad because we're running long. But it's my new favorite ad, guys. So stay tuned for this one. It's my new, new favorite. It was announced yesterday, but it's back. Summer's winding down and the nights are getting longer, but the breeze isn't the only thing that's getting stiff. What an intro, by the way. That's right. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Guys, we all know that confidence can take you far in life. That's especially true in the bedroom, especially when it's time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. You can sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers and once you're approved you'll receive your prescription within days the best part it's all done online no visits to the doctor's office no awkward conversations and no waiting in line at the pharmacy blue Chew's tablets are made in the us of a and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package so if you can benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform chew it and do it and you've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code Locked On at checkout. Just pay five bucks for shipping. That's BlueChew.com. Promo code Locked On to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Absolutely love that ad. Sensational. Makes me want to purchase. But anyway... Still need to work out to this ship here. Still need to work out if I require it. Anyway, let's move on. Um, Sean, I want to talk about Peyton Burdick. We're talking about hitters, guys we've had a look at. I think it's right to talk about Burdick, uh, who was uh, optioned back down to AAA 
Avi Garcia finally uh, was was relinquished from his from his rehab start. It was the longest rehab start for a hamstring strain I've ever seen in my life. I can't think of anyone that was longer. Nevertheless, let's not talk about Avi. Let's talk about Peyton Burdick. What's what's your impression of him? You know, after it's a relatively small sample size, yes, sir. Um, but early indications from you, do you think there's a regular major league player there from what you've seen? See, that's that's the thing. That's that, that's what I've been thinking about as far as Burdick is. If we penciled him in as the starter next year, or even if we just penciled him in on the 26-man roster, mm. you know, do we feel confident or comfortable with that? And the answer has to be no. Yeah, I just don't see that we've seen enough um, at the minor league level, you know, he's he's always been a little bit older than than the competition. I mean, he's he's going to be twenty six going into next year. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's just a year and a half younger than Sandy. And and look at the difference of the sample sizes we've seen at the major league level. There was just no way that I mean, I know that's apples to oranges, but my point being is he's a twenty six year old player who's going into next year if he doesn't come back up with under 100 plate appearances. Mm. And it, he's got options. He's got years. I mean, it is a case of, you know, the, it's not a case that he's going to go anywhere in his home soon unless there's a trade for him. But my point is, I just don't see any scenario where we go into next year ramping up and getting excited for the fact that Burdick is is in that opening day lineup. There can't be. I mean, you can't get excited by someone who comes up as, you know, nine on 100 plate appearances, hits 170, two bombs, you know, 50 plus play. If, if that's what the Marlins roll with uh, for opening day, then let's just call it 2023 as well. You know, we may as well. And I don't want to knock the guy, but the Marlins have to shoot higher than that. They have to. You, you know, they have to have... And it's fine for him to be sitting there at AAA working on his game, but to your point, you know, he's he's getting on. The early sample has not been overly positive. Um, and actually, I mean, it did start kind of overly positive because he, he hit a home run, I think, in his first series, which was against the Cubs, if I recall. So got a home run at Wrigley, but then didn't really kick on, in my opinion. He kind of like had a, an early burst, and then it kind of fell a bit flat for me with Burdick. I mean, I don't even know how many hits... He had it was you know, probably ten, I guess, or something like that. But you know, it's you know, fourteen hits, okay, two bombs uh, and a stolen bag. Nevertheless, I think underwhelming. I think with Burdick, um, Blade, on the other hand, I would say has shown more. From in my opinion, anyway, has definitely shown more. I think there's an eye. It, you know, the problem is with Blade, in, in my opinion, he's he's just struggling all the time against the shift all the time where it's just heavy pull and it's like the shift is killing him to death but the eye is good i i, I do believe and so we can kind of get by on the eye and then it's like what i'd be thinking about with blade is can you start to work with joey wendell can you get to that point where you're working with wendell to work out how can i hit balls more opposite field more regularly because wendell has that approach doesn't he where he's when he's on Wendell, he's blasting balls down left field. Um, and that was what he was doing early in the year. And, you know, it, it's kind of been a bit of a struggle for him recently. But I'd like to see Blade working more with, like, Wendell working out. How can you just beat the shift? Because it's so hard. Like, he's, you know, 
it's just so hard to beat the shift and it's 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 a real tricky thing for those kind of hitters but what's your take on Blade as well i mean again he's had a little bit more opportunity i would say thus far but more encouraging as well definitely more encouraging so yeah the walk rate is 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 encouraging the the lower strikeouts so 26% k rate uh, birdix was 35 so that's a massive difference already you know yeah. you, you know that eye is going to keep him in the major leagues because yeah. you know you see these at bats and you're thinking He's not getting fooled, and he's. It, it, there are no, but we've seen plenty of bad Miami Marlins at bats where we're just going, what, what was that? What you know, we we got no chance. But they brings a professional approach, um, and you know, hitting major league pitching is not easy. And and Bladey, and I've, we've mentioned, I've mentioned this many times before, the idea that that lost season, like. He, that probably hurt him a lot more than it did other people because he was new to the organization, had that you know that first stint in pro ball, and then the next season there was no season, and then yeah. all of a sudden he's getting a little bit on, and he's got to go up to double A and got to go up to triple A, you know when really he didn't really have much time in those lower levels. So I think he's still a little bit you know behind the the eight ball. Yeah, I wouldn't so far go so far as to say he's a little bit raw because he's not. But he's not had that opportunity to to put his work in, put the time in. I think the fact that he's learning at the major league level and is fri- not thriving, but he's 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 managing. You know, he's he's at that sort of major league average sort of level as far as the advanced stats. So I'm pretty happy with what I've seen from Blade. Is he? You know, locked in on a on starting lineup spot. Maybe, maybe not. I think there's still a ways to go as far as progression. But I have a lot more confidence that he can he can fake it till he makes it. Whereas Burdick kind of is is at that stage where he's not he's, he's not showing enough. Um, no. Bidet, I'm happy. I'd, I'd be happy with Bidet in on the 26 man roster next year on opening day. You know, circling in and out of the lineup when needed. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd like to see him get 450 at bats next year. Give him a real good opportunity at the major league level and see what he does with it. Me too. Um, I'll ask you about one more guy, and then we are out of time. Um, and it's on a similar theme. It's a guy that has showed out actually in some ways and has been impressive. Uh, again, a similar sample size to Peyton Burdick, but Charles LeBlanc. Um, who, if you look, if you're a batting average guy, then you're probably most excited about this guy. But same kind of thought thought here, Sean is let's let's shoot. Let, no, not shoot. Let's play it out now that the Marlon Ryan Anderson and save the money or and trade him or do whatever they want to do, and they decide. You know what, LeBlanc can be a part of our opening day roster. And actually he's going to start a third base. Let's just put it in now. He's starting a third base in, in 23. How does that make you feel uh, ahead of the year? To be honest, I mean, it is that situation where is how much better is BA going to be than the LeBlanc? I'm not going to, to not use the, the C on the end there. Yeah, I know I'm it trying is, my best. Uh, is the numbers are they're flattering because of the BABIP. Um, you know the K rate's not bad, but the walk rate's not great either. So he's he is what he is. He was acquired in the Rule Five AAA level draft. Yeah. So I mean, he's a he is a replacement level player. Could he be a stopgap till June for Groshans to come up? 
Maybe. I mean, maybe the Marlins do keep BA, you know, that flexibility at third base and, and in right field, a stabilised bat. He's not going to be cheap for, for the bat he actually is. But could they keep him as a stabilising sort of holdover into the next year until Groshans comes up? Or would do they just ride with Blanc and, and save that money? I mean, you could see an argument for, for both, really, couldn't you? I think, yeah. I think LeBlanc's shown enough, you know, BABIP-related, <laughs> but he has shown enough. It's not just the numbers. He does look like a, a major league player, in, in my eyes. Not a great major league player, but, you know, a guy that's going to fill a role. Um, I think he's but, someone... Yeah, he's not I someone you're excited about. He's a 40-man guy. Yeah. For me, he's a 40-man guy that, again, if the Marlins are serious, needs to be in AAA to start 23. Like, if if they're serious, then that's where he needs to be, and he'll be he'll be needed because the injuries will always come as they do. But for me, if if Charles LeBlanc LeBlanc is on the opening day roster, then the Marlins have had a bad off season, and the same for Peyton Burdick. To be honest with you, both those guys, neither of them should be it. Um, one final one, then confidence levels um, of Lewin Diaz right now. Uh, not high. I've got to say, I, I think I've got to, I've got to put him in that same level. Yeah, that, that guy that is a quasi forty man that you just, if he's at the major league level, you just not, you're not competing, are you? Not, not with what we've seen with the stick. I mean, it's, it's really discouraging to be honest with you. I, I, he's taken a massive step backwards from last year. When he came to the ma- at the major league level last year, I was excited for Lewin Diaz at bats, and he had eight home runs last year in his relatively short stint. The power seemed to play, and for me, that's what's most disappointing this year is you know twenty nine abs, just one home run for Lewin Diaz. So, you know the stick isn't playing, and that's a real bad sign. Yeah, you know, we can talk about the glove all we want, but you know again. You just can't have a glove first, first base, but like we just can't. And I, you know, I think time, unfortunately, is really ticking for Lee. Win, and I, I, I this will be the end for him with the Marlins at the end of this this period. And actually, that may be true with Jesus Sanchez as well. So we're going to get a quite big roster turnover here. It feels um, because some of these guys, you know, they've they've come up, they haven't performed, and you have to move on. Go ahead. I look forward to them all hitting very well for the Baltimore Orioles in September next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- this this is the the really worrying thing, going back to where we started in, in many ways, where take these guys out of this organization and the approach and the philosophy, that's the word I was thinking about earlier, the philosophy of offense and hitting. Take them out of this environment, drop them into another one. And it's not just a philosophy, it's a situation too, where, you know, you drop these guys and they're hitting nine in the lineup in a good team. It's a different feeling. You're feeling different versus being in the Marlins and you're scratching runs and you're trying to manufacture and you're trying to be the guy and all that, all the pressure that comes with that. And in some ways, Lewis Brinson always felt that, I think, with his Marlins career. There was a lot of weight he carried on his shoulders. So just to go to another organization where there's no stink associated with a big massive trade and having to be the guy and a local kid too and a big name prospect um i think helps him but to your point let's drop ship lewin diaz into the washington nationals the pittsburgh pirates let's drop you know jesus sanchez into the orioles whatever it may be these guys will probably rake we know it 
we know what's going to happen. It was wild the other day, the fact that you had Brintz hitting bombs, um, Yelich hitting bombs, Mags with walk-offs, Alfaro walk-offs, Riamuto with a big play. Like, it was just a Marlins killer day, ex-Marlins just all performing. But nevertheless, Sean, I think that's a, a fun a fun, maybe that's the wrong word again, but it's, it, you know, we have to get into, we spoke about pitching yesterday, we have to get into the offense and philosophically and coaching wise, there's a deep rooted problem within the, within the Marlins organization. And the numbers, in my opinion, tell us that we see it with players that come in and out of the organization. They start at a level, their level dips, and then it improves as soon as they leave. And to me, that points to not the players themselves overly, but what the coaching staff's doing what the philosophy is, and clearly it isn't working. And in my opinion, and in yours too, I think, it's time to have a serious change in that approach. Any final news and nuggets or notes you want to get into, or are we rocking and rolling for Friday? No, no, I'm all ready for the NFL season now. Yes, sir. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go, Dolphins then, baby. All right, then, guys. Well, thank you to Sean Barrett. Two episodes this week, uh, albeit they weren't in his usual slots. Nevertheless, I appreciate uh, Sean as always. And to you guys for tuning in, listening and following along all the year, even though it is September and the Marlins are out of contention, I appreciate you joining, listening and commenting. Uh, it's always a huge pleasure for me. Guys, reminder, it's a daily pod, Monday to Friday. I'll be back next week with five episodes as well and I'll try and load up some stunning guests as well Sean I'm sure will be back if I can twist his arm uh, but in the meantime guys enjoy your weekends let's go Dolphins <laughs>